The following audio is from Solid Rock Community Church. More information about Solid Rock Community Church is available at www.solidrockcommunitychurch.com. Good morning. Good to see you all. I know that, uh, yeah, I'm kind of like an old shoe around here, aren't I? Uh, You get so comfortable, you can't shake them off your feet. Uh, Greetings from Pastor Dave and Kathy, who, as Pastor Troy mentioned, are enjoying a a much-deserved time away. I appreciate the fact that God had all of this in mind, as he does everything. Because Pastor Dave and I planned these next three weeks probably six or eight months ago. So I was uh, destined to be here, according to that plan, these next three Sundays. That was long before any conversations had occurred with Renton New Life or any talk about merger or transition. Uh, And so when that all came up, we looked at each other and said, once again, God demonstrates that he has all things in order and he does all things well. I know Pastor Troy well, and I want to commend him to you. I know him not just as a fellow pastor in the Northwest Network, but Troy has been a very close personal friend for a long, long time. I watched him grow up as a young person in the youth ministry of Renton Assembly of God at that time. I saw him mature and move into youth ministry, and ultimately he and I worked on the same team. When I was superintendent and assistant superintendent, uh, Troy uh, was there during that transition, and he and I worked together for about four years in the Northwest Ministry Network. So I know this man really well, and we have maintained our friendship and our contact, and I just want to commend him to you. I hope that you will indeed take advantage of the opportunities that the Lord is putting before us in terms of just finding out what lay ahead, what does it look like, what's going to transpire. And uh, Troy is a trustworthy leader. So God bless you as you continue to walk down this path. Uh, Pastor Lincoln will come back in the next week or two and be with me and you here. And we will uh, be reintroduced to him. He is the the lead pastor of the Maple Valley campus at the present time. And I know many of you have already met him, but he'll be back here uh, either next Sunday or the next. We're still trying to finalize what will be best, and maybe both. He may be here both weeks. But I'll be speaking uh, on all three of the next three Sundays. I would plan to be with you on the second Uh, for the celebration for Dave and Kathy and and for um, the church, but I had already committed to a speaking assignment in Texas, but the next Sunday I have free and I plan to be here. So uh, I was here on the first Sunday that Solid Rock met, and uh, I'm pleased that I'll be able to be here on that last Sunday before you move into the next chapter of your future. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. A man placed some flowers on the grave of his dearly departed mother, and he started back toward his car, but his attention was diverted to another man kneeling at a grave. The man seemed to be praying with profound intensity, and he just kept repeating, 
Why did you have to die? Why did you have to die? The first man approached him out of concern because his grief seemed so intense. And he said, I don't wish to interfere with your private grief, but this demonstration of pain is more than I've ever seen. He said, for whom do you mourn? A, a child, a parent? The mourner took a moment to catch his breath and he replied, no, it's my wife's first husband. <laughs> now ladies, before you get angry, I could have flip-flopped it, and I'll even retell the whole story and change genders if you want. The point is this. We all mourn, and we all mourn differently. That phrase, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, is one of the familiar statements of Jesus from what we call the Beatitudes. They appear in Matthew chapter 5, that's verse 4, but let's just walk through those together today by way of refreshment. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, which is our focus verse today, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kind of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now these verses from the Sermon on the Mount have been traditionally entitled the Beatitudes. They carry this label not because it's a word that Jesus used particularly, because it's a Latin word. So that word would not have been a, have been a part of Jesus' vocabulary. But in the Latin translation of the New Testament, called the Latin Vulgate, the Latin word beati, beati, or be, the roots of the word beautiful, uh, was used to describe this uh, uh, passage because each word at the beginning of, I mean each verse is begun with the word blessed. And the Italian or Latin word beati was used in translation. It means to be happy, rich, or blessed. So what Jesus is saying here, using his Aramaic tongue, then translated into Greek, is the idea, and, and the Greek word, by the way, means exactly the same thing that the Latin translation, rich, happy, blessed. So Jesus got up before this crowd of people and he basically said, I'm going to give you in a very concise nutshell eight, well, some people, commentators say ten statements. Depends on how you categorize them. But I'm going to give you eight or ten concise, pithy statements that will help you know how you can live a rich, blessed, and happy life. 
Each one is worthy of contemplation. These beatitudes have been the object of as much or more consideration by students of the Bible as any other passage of Scripture in the whole of the text. Learned scholars, all the way to novice disciples, hear and they handle these words because they are concise and profound statements of Jesus with a profound personal effect on all of us who read them. And even as I was studying for this message this week, and I read through them again, I thought all the words that I have ever spoken in sermons, and Jesus, in the power of those few statements, makes such powerful, relevant, practical input to my spiritual life. Volumes have been published as commentary on the content of just these few verses that we read this morning. But the one that we want to focus on today is, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, I really believe I was led of the Holy Spirit to select this text for a specific purpose today. And it's a specific purpose in the general life of Solid Rock Community Church and hopefully each individual member who's here today. I have no way to know how each of you individually will choose to apply what I'm about to say or what the Holy Spirit says to you. But I do encourage you to do it. Corporately, I believe the message God laid upon my heart has immediate relevance and application with specific regard to the transitions that we are walking through. The word mourn in this verse is translated from a Greek word that means to sorrow over a significant loss. Could be the death of a person, it could be the end of a relationship, it could be just the idea of being overtaken in general by the harms and hurts of life and they become so cumbersome they weight us down and we find ourselves mourning. We don't even always know exactly what to put our finger on in terms of identifying what's bringing about these emotions or this attitude. Perhaps you've seen or read the book Kids Talk About God and uh, it's written by Carrie Kinsolving. She looks at God, the Bible, and spiritual truth through the eyes of children. Kind of after the fashion, some of you who are old enough to remember Art Linkletter's Kids Say the Darndest Things and she took it to the scriptures and let kids talk about what they heard in specific verses of the Bible. It's a really a wonderful uh, book. It's a great coffee table book because it's uh, colorful and, and easy, to, and, but some of the things are really profound that children come up with for, as the Bible says, out of the mouths of babes comes forth wisdom. Todd, who is age nine, said, this verse means to pray for those who are sad. Try to help them, to take their mind off of it. Invite them over to spend the night or to a water park. <laughs> So Todd's a practical theologian. He's saying, hey, if you're mourning, 
This verse is an encouragement to me to come alongside of you and help you mourn, and the best way to do it is to do something fun. Taylor, age 11, said, I mourned when my puppy ran away. I cried for hours wanting him back, but he never came back. We got a new dog, but I still cry sometimes. You see, here's a boy who experienced God's comfort, but then needed to experience it again and again and again. Even in the face or provision of a new puppy, it wasn't exactly the same, and he needed to be comforted. Brittany, age six, the one that I think I like best. If you cry... It will get better. You probably know why I like that one best. For the guy who cries at supermarket openings. So, loss and sorrow. I'm going I'm to give you three points out of this verse and out of this concept I think you'll see their direct application to what we're walking through as a church, but I hope you will also see some application to things and situations in your own personal life. Number one, loss and sorrow are common to the human experience. We sorrow or lament when we experience loss, and that's the way I want you to think about this. We tend to think if people are going through grief, it's because someone has died. But we go through grief over a lot of different things. And it's one of the healthy provisions God's built into this heart of mine to be able to sorrow over the loss of something. You can probably think of all kinds of situations where even when it led to a more celebratory and positive outcome, the process of getting there was a process of loss and mourning and grieving. Loss and sorrow are common to the human experience, and we've all experienced it. In the ministry in which we work, One of the things that we often find ourselves doing with pastors and missionaries is helping them help them walk through even a lifetime of consideration about losses they may have experienced, but never mourn them. In fact, we lead an exercise called a personal timeline that with this statement: it's not a matter of whether we have experienced loss but whether we've acknowledged it and properly grieved it. Brittany, the six-year-old theologian philosopher, may be profound in her simplicity when she said, if you cry, it will get better. And if I'm not getting better, to use a mathematical flip on that equation, maybe it's because I haven't cried.
Is that personal timeline up there? Yeah. I want you to look at that. It's really a simple concept. We hand people a piece of paper that has a timeline on it. We have them break down their life. So if you're a 30-year-old minister coming to see us, uh, there's going to only be three. lots of opportunity to write stuff down. If you're 70 or 80 years old, and we do see people that age, then you have to break it down into smaller segments, and the timeline gets a little more crowded. But we start with the idea that God knows things about me before I am ever born. That's the assurance that we have. In my mother's womb, God, you knew me, Psalm 139 says. You formed me and shaped me. Uh, Paul says to the Romans, whom he... uh, Foreknew, he also called, and whom he called, he also purposed for his plan. So there's this idea of the foreknowledge of God that, uh, that, that, that's in existence before I ever set foot on this planet. God is aware, and he's aware all the way through. And that is a comfort to me. Nothing that takes me by surprise has taken God by surprise. Nothing. So when you walk through, then what we do, we use crosses because they represent, first of all, the letter T. So it could be trials and tests and tears and uh, tragedies. And and then we also use another color of a T to celebrate triumphs. Tears of joy and gladness. And so we start through and we start noting remarkable or notable experiences or events on this timeline. It's interesting as we walk through these things, sometimes people will begin by with this statement. In fact, it happens a lot with older people. They'll say to me, well, what if I don't have any losses in my life? Folks, everyone has experienced loss of one kind or another. Whether you've lost a loved one close to you in death or whether it's just other types of losses, we all have experienced losses. And it's amazing how if we don't acknowledge those losses and properly grieve them, how they'll hang on to us. And the feelings and attitudes and heart perspective that we had at the time of that tragedy or loss can just grab hold and if not properly mourned, acknowledged and mourned, it can just grab hold and stay with tremendous clinging power. I remember one older minister started with that very statement. Well, what if I don't have any losses in my life? I said, well, I didn't react. I didn't argue with him. I just said, well, just start reflecting about your own timeline and where would you start? He said, well, I don't know. I don't remember a whole lot up till the time I was about age 16. That's uh, 16 is when my parents divorced and I didn't do that, by the way. (laughs) But I just 
put a cross at age 16, and I wrote, parents divorced. How did you feel about that? Oh, man, this gush of emotions from this older gentleman. I felt rejected, angry, responsible, hurt. And I wrote those words down at the bottom of the page underneath that particular cross. We went on to, that kind of opened the floodgate for him. And he started remembering other things. And then he remembered a series of very unfortunate ministerial transition events in his life. And the emotion just started pouring again. And what words do you think he used to describe those experiences? I felt rejected, responsible, hurt, angry, and I wrote the words down again. And he looked at that. I didn't say a word. I didn't draw the parallel. He did it himself. And he said, I have experienced loss. And I've never grieved it. And the way I reacted to my parents' divorce is exactly the same way I'm reacting even today to things in my life. And now it was our opportunity for the first time in a 70-plus-year-old man's life to sit with him and let him grieve. It's not a matter of whether we have experienced loss, but whether we have properly acknowledged and grieved it is the, the fact. Because loss is common to the human experience. Point number two. Navigating loss is a process unique to every individual. The way you are and will respond, for instance, to the transition from Solid Rock Community Church meeting at Kentwood High School to the Maple Valley campus of New Life Church in Renton will be unique to every individual in this crowd. Oh yeah, there'll be some similarities, and some of you will share those similarities of thought and feeling, but the fact is, in our humanity, God designed us to think and feel and act in response to the losses and suffering we face in a fallen world for one simple reason. It's in those moments that our attention is, uh, that we are, and our attention is most prone, most vulnerable to turning to God. Suffering, mourning, if allowed in our lives, is allowed so that we might be shaped in character and driven toward our Lord. Losses propel us toward God into his waiting arms, and when we're embraced by him, we are comforted and healed. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? For they shall be comforted. If I fail to mourn, I'm by uh, sidestepping or bypassing the comforting, consoling, loving embrace of God. The fact that we all suffer loss 
and the need to grieve them is common. But ways in which we mourn or sorrow or grieve will be very, very individually unique. The Greek word used by the Holy Spirit in Matthew's record of the Sermon on the Mount for comfort is parakaleo, which means to draw alongside in order to comfort, to encourage, and to console. Some of you will know this and have already drawn the parallel. One of the New Testament names for the Holy Spirit is paraclete. Thank you. Same root word, same root meaning. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is the one who is said to be the comforter, the paraclete, the one who draws alongside of me in moments of need, and he comforts and consoles and encourages me. And that's the word that Jesus used in this passage when he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be drawn alongside of. I will be there in the midst of that sorrow. I always think when I read this uh, passage of the verse in Psalm 34, 18, that makes the similar declaration, and some suggest that Jesus had this verse and others to parallel the other verses in the Beatitudes in mind when he did it. It's like Jesus was taking his Old Testament training and bringing it to bear out of his own mouth. And the, the verse that I think of is Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Psalm 34, 18. If I don't acknowledge and confess uh, the losses and the sorrow in my life, I lose an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to come alongside of me and comfort me in the midst of that experience. And it's not that he's going to change the circumstance necessarily, but he's going to change my heart by being alongside of me. We have a practice around our house that at uh, various family gatherings, especially if we're celebrating a birthday, we will take time to go around the table and every person says something about the guest of honor, the birthday girl or boy. This last Christmas, my birthday is the 20th of December, our oldest son and his three children were with us and other family members seated around the table. Uh, my sister and brother-in-law are here this morning. Were you there when we had this birthday? I think you were. They're with me so much I forget. <laughs> and, uh, and by the way, Doris says send her greetings. Her second knee surgery, she's finally turning the corner. The pain is subsiding. She's walking. Everything's gone very well other than the painfulness of it all. But now I'm married to a bionic woman. And so, <laughs> so we're going around the table, and Doris led the way in, in, in inter, or inviting people to say something nice about me because it was my birthday. Some really wonderful things were said. 
things that touched me, and you can imagine what I was doing. I was crying. And we got to our uh, now soon-to-be nine-year-old granddaughter. Her name is Madeline. We call her Maddie. And she's like her bampa. That's what they call me, bampa. And she looked up, and she started to talk, but she was all choked up. And she said, I don't really know exactly how to say it. But she said, I just love Bampa because when he walks into the room, he makes me smile. And I'm just happy inside. Now, you can imagine what that does to a bampa. <laughs> That's what the Holy Spirit does. When he walks into the room, he makes me smile. He doesn't have to say anything. He doesn't have to change anything. He doesn't have to give me new direction. But when I'm mourning, all I need sometimes is to just have the Holy Spirit draw alongside of me, and it just makes me smile. The fact is, this is how we get through grief, and, and why so many of us who walk with God and have the benefit of holding Jesus' hand and the Holy Spirit coming alongside of us in the midst of grief, will make this statement. I don't know how someone does this without Jesus. <laughs> the fact is, a lot of people don't do it well without Jesus. And some of us with Jesus don't do it well because we have this notion that we can't let ourselves mourn and sorrow when it's a natural part of the human experience designed by God to turn my face toward him so that he can draw alongside of me, take my hand, and say, I'm here to make you smile. I thought I would just throw this uh, grief recovery document on the board. It's one that we often use in, in our counseling practice. And you'll see at the top there the, the loss and the hurt that occurs on the left side. Now, there's a couple observations I want to make about this, and we're not going to be able to cover it with any kind of uh, detail. But these are not meant to be a progression of attitudes and feelings. Uh, if you want to see this, you could go online. H. Norman Wright was the originator of this particular version of this. But... Uh, uh, Terry, is there some uh, Kleenex or something close by? Thank you. The loss and hurt on that side of the chasm, and then uh, feelings. And again, not everyone experiences all of these, and they're not designed to be offered in progressive order. In other words, it's not like you go through shock and numbness and denial and then never go back there again. You may go back there several times before you're able to move on. 
But emotional outbursts, anger, fear. Now just listen for words that in your grieving cycle, whether it's over uh, the loss of a loved one or some relationship in your life, or as a corporate body. Now, are you getting why I'm talking about this? It's okay to mourn the change. It's okay. In fact, it's essential to moving on. I'm not, I don't, I'm, I'm going to talk about the celebration and the future in the next two weeks, but I thought the first thing we have to do is become those who are blessed because we mourn. And God says he'll comfort us. It goes down into the deepest valleys of panic, guilt, loneliness, isolation, depression. And then uh, he sees it as kind of the re-entry, the new relationships, new strengths, new patterns, hope, affirmation, and then ultimately the ability to help others grieve their losses. I, I offer you this primarily for the purpose of suggesting to you we all grieve in different ways. Thank you, Terry. We all grieve in different ways, and it's going to be all over the map. But the common thing is we grieve. And blessed are those who grieve, for they shall be comforted. The third and final point is this. Healthy grieving paves the way or leads to God's preferred future. Loss properly grieved is not only met by God's comfort, it actually becomes the pathway, like in that diagram, through the valley of the shadow of death, if you want to look at it that way, and emerge into new life, new experiences, new relationships. And mourning becomes part of that pathway. Paul had a grip on this concept of sorrow and loss, which is revealed in his teaching to the Thessalonians concerning death and resurrection. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believer who has died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Even death and the finality of it as it appears to the human experience. And I was watching a television program just this last week and a little girl asked her elderly grandfather, so grandpa, what's after when we die? And his answer was, Nothing. And then he said, I wish there were something, but there's nothing. I thought that encapsulates the human experience with relationship to the design of God for his creation, which he is ultimately going to redeem in its entirety. He's going to take old bodies and make them new. We don't mourn the loss or passing of someone close to us as those who have no hope. Neither do we mourn losses along the way. 
But it's strange, isn't it? Paul goes on to tell us in some of his writings, like to the Corinthians, don't you know a seed has to go into the ground and it has to lay dormant there for a while and then it bursts forth into new life? That's what it's like when you die, he said. My brother-in-law, who I referred to as probably the country's leading country music fan, and country music meaning what he would call real country music, not new country. And Russ, I thought of this in your honor today. Loretta Lynn, one of his favorite artists of days gone by, wrote and performed the song, Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven, But Nobody Wants to Die. Yeah. Once upon a time, she said, there lived a man, and his name was Hezekiah. He walked with God both day and night, but he didn't want to die. He cried, oh Lord, please let me live. Death is as close, I know. God smiled down on Hezekiah and gave him 15 years to go. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Lord, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to die. But I long for the day when I'll have new birth. Still, I love the living here on this earth. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. You see, that's also part of the human experience. That's the, 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 the grasp and the, the appreciation for life that God puts into us, but in the sinful world in which we live where death has kind of reared its temporary head, God says, oh, no, no, no. This isn't a permanent condition. You don't mourn as those who have no hope. You mourn as those whose hope is in Christ. You have the hope of heaven. You have the hope of eternity. Peter led a group of believers in the early church who navigated terrific losses. They were severely persecuted at the hands of both Pharisaic religious leaders of the day as well as the Roman government who persecuted, martyred them. He was urging, Peter was urging the early believers, especially in the church in Jerusalem where he had the opportunity to to write, but he also reached out in his writings to Asia and beyond. And he was saying to them, keep your eyes on Jesus. That's the ultimate goal. And he said in 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7, in all this you greatly rejoice. And in all what? Persecution is what he's talking about. It wasn't all kinds of great victories. They weren't putting signs up in front of the church because there was no church building. They were meeting underground, literally in homes, So in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. What do you mean, Peter, a little while? I've been going through this for much too long. But he says, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. 
And one of my favorite verses that only has become more endeared to my heart over the last five years is Peter's words in 1 Peter 5.10 when the Holy Spirit spoke through him and said, And the God of grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Many, if not all of you, know some of my personal story and some of the darkness we walked through the last five years and the, God's redemptive story. And I remember early on, it was the first time I spoke after I left office. It was a number of months. And uh, I didn't think I would ever preach again. I thought, it's the end. And I was feeling shame and guilt and condemnation. And God was working, purifying. And we spoke at a minister's retreat in another network. And I just... Uh, sent greetings to that superintendent for their annual meeting because he's retiring and he took a proactive reach and he said hey Les Doris come and minister to us at our next retreat that was the first assignment major assignment that I had I told some of our story it was still so raw and so fresh even as many of you heard it at that stage and a minister's wife, whom we had been acquainted with for many, many years, came up to us and expressed her appreciation, and then she made this statement. Don't try to write the script. God has already written it. Just walk ahead in obedience. For what if this is the only crucible through which less must pass in order for God to refine him into the man God really made him to be. Now, at the time, that I wasn't angry with her, but I thought, that doesn't feel good. But after you have suffered for a little while the God of grace who called you to his eternal glory will himself restore make you strong firm and steadfast solid rock I've not walked the journey you have exactly as a church but I was here the first Sunday. I've been there all along the way, every year, sometimes twice a year, as a guest speaker. I've been with Pastor Dave and Kathy. And whenever I hear that a church is going through a change or transition, we always tend to want to step over the losses and get right to the celebration. Oh, there's going to be a lot to celebrate. 
the preferred future that God has for Solid Rock Community Church. But what if this is the only crucible through which we must pass for God to create or allow us to be the church he's ultimately created us to be? Loss and sorrow are common to the human experience. Navigating loss is unique to every individual. And healthy grieving, not to be stepped over or avoided by walking around, because that's the number one tendency we have, is to avoid pain. But to face it after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will lead you to his preferred future. And once we get there, he restores us and he makes us strong and firm and steadfast. Now I'm going to pray what some of you might consider an unusual prayer today. But I'm going to ask the Lord to help each of us face this loss and call it what it is. so that we can put our sights toward God's preferred future for us and for this church. Because I really think that all of the vision and all of the future and all of the design and the building over there on the property that's been purchased and all the dollars that you've invested and all the time you have given will not only be celebrated, that's all seed that's been put down into the earth of God's kingdom, and it is going to spring forth with beauty that you never imagined. And you're going to be sitting after the merger with members of God's body, both from here and other places, and you're going to watch people coming to Christ on a regular basis, and you're going to see people ministered to and healed spiritually, emotionally, and physically, and you're going to sit back as those who've made this investment, and you're going to say, man, I didn't like the little while, but I sure like this. I sure like this. Father, I pray, first of all, for individuals in the body here today who have heard this message and in addition to, or perhaps even as a single focus, you have brought something entirely different to their heart and mind about losses other than the transition of Solid Rock Community Church. It's a very personal thing, maybe the loss of a loved one that has been mourned for some time, maybe changes in life that were never anticipated and there are losses attached to them. I pray in this moment you'll help them take this message and apply it personally. And then, Lord, will you do what you promised you would do? Will you bless each of us, make us rich and happy and content by drawing alongside of us as only the paraclete can to comfort, encourage, 
and take our hand in the midst of mourning. And then, Lord, I pray for the church transition. And while I am confident that this is going to be a wonderful kingdom move and outcome and that there's going to be terrific fruit born of it, I don't want us to step over some of the sense of loss that we feel and even the guilt that might accompany that, but instead embrace that loss. This is what it means when I hear that phrase, Lord, and you know how I've struggled with it when people have said, oh, you have to embrace the pain. And I say, no, I don't want to do that. But oh God, when we do it, you are there even as the psalmist said, you are close to the brokenhearted for those who are crushed in spirit. And you said through the words of Jesus himself, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. I pray your blessing of comfort on Solid Rock Community Church and every person here. And as they walk through and celebrate and mourn at once, it all gets mixed in together. May there be a sense of new life and new hope that emerges because you are working. You are working. I pray this blessing in the powerful name of Jesus. And, it, and the Holy Spirit who draws alongside to comfort us. And the Father whose strong arm holds us up and leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church. It's been wonderful to be with you. I hope you'll take that which I've shared today. I really did feel quite keenly it was a word from the Lord that he put on my heart. And uh, God's got some great stuff in store for us as we allow him to draw alongside. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.